the Blaze Radio Network. On Demand. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. Well, the 4th of July came early yesterday. I don't know if you noticed that. I mean, if you were on Twitter... It was the 4th of July. Twitter left was all ablaze with the thought of one of their own defecting to the other side. The betrayal! The loss of trust! Traitor! Kanye West. Yes, my cracker, I'm actually talking about a rapper. This is still the Glenn Beck program. Don't adjust your radio. But Kanye West has been making waves in the Twitterverse in the past few days by showing support for President Trump and also, and this might have been the biggest sin of all, actually challenging the narrative that African Americans always have to toe the Democratic line. It all started a couple of days ago when Kanye tweeted support for Turning Point USA and and Candace Owens. With a seven-word tweet, he lit the fuse. The meltdown began after Kanye tweeted, I love the way Candace Owens thinks, end quote. That's it. Instantly, the left began calling West a tool of the far right. First, it was the alt-right. And I'm trying to get my arms around. Wait a minute. The Nazi guys? The racist guys? They, they're, they love Kanye West and he's part of them? Come on. There's absolutely nothing far right with Candace Owens, but the liberal mudslinging piled on. If you're curious about the kinds of things Candace says, you know, that has the left in such uproar, she makes points and brace yourself for this. Like if Black Lives Matter really cared about black lives, they might help stop Planned Parenthood from killing African-American babies. Oh, my gosh. She didn't say that, did she? What a racist. Well, to the left, that language is tantamount to a unforgivable sin. You are out of the club. As the left tried to bully Kanye into submission, as per their standard operating procedure, he didn't back down. And here are just a few of the heretical things he dared tweet. Quote, there was a time when slavery was the trend, and apparently that time is still upon us. But now it's mentality. Self-victimization is a disease. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? Here's another one. Obama was in office for eight years and nothing in Chicago changed. End quote. That one is the one that put the left into a tailspin. I don't know anything really about Kanye West. Everything he is doing right now might just be an elaborate promotion, you know, for a tour or his next album or what. I don't know. But even if that's the case, I love the way he has wittingly or unwittingly made this point regarding the American political climate. He has lit a fuse now at the cultural level. How ironic was it that literally within seconds of tweeting this... The thought police want to suppress freedom of thought. That the liberal thought police went into action trying to smear Kanye and everyone that he was supporting. You see, freedom of thought is dangerous to hardliners on both the left and the right. They need to call you traitor. They need to call you uh, uh, a heretic, which 
They have to do it. On both sides, the hardliners will do it every time. And the left has a lot of hardliners. Freedom of thought is the unforgivable sin. If you dare listen to somebody with an opposing view, or heaven forbid, challenge the narrative, you're beaten into submission. It doesn't have to be this way. So, promotional stunt or not, I applaud, I can't believe I'm saying this, I applaud Kanye West for bringing this to light. I might have to start paying attention to Kanye a little bit more, but uh, I don't really want to go so far to find the rap section in the record store. Do they even have record stores? Any? It's Thursday, April 26th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. <laughs> you know, I, I had a very interesting conversation uh, with uh, Dave Rubin, who I love. Dave Rubin is a guy who I disagree with on a few things, but uh, uh, I don't think very many. Uh, he is he is a remarkable, honest broker. He's a guy who has taken on the left. He was a progressive, and he realized, you know, I I don't think I'm a progressive, and was actually on Young Turks, and and realized he started listening to them (laughs) and he was like wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute if that's what we're supposed to believe i don't believe that and last year he came out and said i'm a i'm a libertarian i am uh i'm a constitutionalist uh i'm not with these guys because these guys are the thought police these guys are leading us down a road of tyranny and I spent about a, a half an hour with him yesterday on television. We we did enough, another 20 or 30 minutes uh, off air, and I'm going to play some of it uh, today and a, another clip of it tomorrow. He's He is in a remarkably brave man who has challenged his own people, and he had an interesting... He had an interesting viewpoint on Kanye yesterday. He said, think what you want about Kanye... He said, but he has started a fire in culture now. He said, you know, the Kardashians don't go up against the Kardashians. They're really smart at social media. And he said, here's Kanye lighting this fuse of free thought. And even if he's doing it for promotional purposes, look what's happening. He's bringing out and dragging it into the public that there are thought police on the left. He really believes this is the beginning of the end for for the left and thought police. You remember, what killed it back in the 1960s were two events. One was Altamont and the, the uh, shooting, or was it the stabbing, I think, at Altamont. Uh, and the left just went too far with violence and the other was the beatles song revolution you say you want a revolution well that whole song was no they don't want a revolution you're carrying around pictures of chairman mao you say you want to change the constitution well we want to change your head you're carrying around the pictures of chairman mao it's not going to work anyhow So 
those two things were the the culture getting into culture and saying i reject this is kanye west the beginning of that fuse welcome to the program steve regeer otherwise known as Stu, for some reason <laughs> thank you glenn uh you probably i think dave's probably right there we can't ignore these things because they're such big deals um you know and when these cultural things happen as we've seen i mean you know they they wind up taking over everybody's thought process for multiple days and sometimes do make big changes like that it's a bit frustrating i mean to, we are so starved for any celebrity attention on the right like this guy that everyone seemed to agree was completely insane two days ago is now the conservative hero and right I, that's just really, i don't think though but I don't think that's Dave's. I don't think that's Dave's point. Oh no! I mean, I'm Dave. Sure it's not. Yeah, Dave is not like, hey, he's a hero of the. He, he, what he's saying is, the guy has just brought this into popular conversation. So now it's down. It's it's out of our circles. It's out of talk radio circles. I mean, I could care less. I, I really could you care less about anybody? You know more than 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 Kanye West? Yes, I don't care at all. I don't care at all. I don't care at all. However, the people that everybody's been trying to reach and say, wake up, how do you not see this? He's reaching them. Remember, we, we kept saying, you know, yeah, because well, nobody cares about the Constitution. Nobody cares what's going on because they're watching the Kardashians. Guess who he's married to? <laughs> I mean, it's a really big deal. <laughs> no, it's, that's tr- <laughs> it's true. I mean, it, I think this is... I guess what I'm expressing is something different than what Dave's expressing. What I'm expressing is a frustration at the reality. What he's describing is the reality. It is the reality. And, yeah, I know. I know. And so I, he's right. I mean, this, is, this, is, this will move more people than any spreadsheet, any mm-hmm. graph, any constitutional argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's just the truth. It's just where it's, we are in our society. Right. And it's not going to move people towards being conservative. It's going to move people to say, hey, I don't have to accept your junk. Wait a minute. You're shouting me down? I don't think so, Jack. I'm not a loser because you say I'm a loser because I support this person or this person or I've listened or talked to this person. Yeah. And so there's a breaking of this logjam of where everybody was just falling in line. No, I've got to. No, I've. No, they're not cool because all the cool people say they're not cool. Well, wait a minute. Here's a cool person saying, I don't know. I can, I think some of this stuff is kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, was it uh, was it Dave or, or Jonah Goldberg? Who are we talking to the last couple of days who was talking about going and talking to uh, colleges? Uh, and or maybe it was is ben, ben Shapiro, and he's talking about how you, you go and t- talk to colleges, and you say, "Do you realize, you know, you think it's rebellious? You think it's rebellious to to side with the left leaning media, with the left leaning uh, prof- uh, professors, with left leaning uh, yes. you know faculty, and you go through all of this? Like, what's actually rebellious? And here's something that I think is really that could actually come out of this at some mm-hmm. point, if you can define w- rebellious." as being 
as questioning Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, right. <laughs> but questioning, you know, questioning the the, the the status quo with the left mm-hmm. and the way these things go, where every African American has to be a Democrat, and ninety two to ninety six percent of African Americans will vote Democrat over and over and over and over again. It, it, when you when, when it becomes rebellious to go the opposite way, that's when you you may see change. And and Kanye West is smart enough. Um, again, I think he's completely insane 95% of the time, but he's smart enough to realize that at least, at the very least for pu- publicity's sake, he realizes that being rebellious, the, the the craziest way to get attention right now is to say something that could possibly be construed as conservative. And so him coming you out, know, it's, it's, he's, he's generating a lot of, of you know interest because of that. And if it becomes, people understand that as rebellious, that is going to be a positive change. So you just said that he's crazy. Yes. And that's what the left is saying now. And that's what uh, we were saying 48 hours ago, to be clear. Everybody, yeah, everybody he, on the he right might knew be. he was insane 48 hours ago. He was a genius yeah, I, to the left 48 hours ago, by the way. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm, you know, let, let me just say this. I don't know if he's crazy or not. I don't know the guy. I don't pay attention. I don't. I know nothing about him. You know what I mean. Um, and now that he's in kind of our sphere of of you know uh, topics. I mean, I've never been in. You know, Kanye West. I don't know anything about him. Yeah, he, you know, you read a tweet. Yeah, that's an idiotic tweet. He's an idiot. Whatever. But now that he is actually tweeting something that is into our realm of influence, I do want to look into the guy. He may be. For, for, here's my guess. He is. Uh, he's married to Kim Kardashian, right? Yes. Who's the mom? Uh, the Kardashian Chris mom. Chris Jenner. Chris Jenner. Okay. So Chris Jenner, I think, is a marketing genius, and she's the one that's been keeping the family afloat. Uh, far as you know far as orchestrating and showing everybody here's how you do it i think she is i can't believe i'm saying this but i think she's the one who has the brains you don't think so Stu? no i just find it interesting that you have any opinion on this <laughs> i have very what, little what opinion. Inner, it's not going very the inner it's workings going, of the kardashian family and which one is the marketing g ge- i think they're all marketing geniuses i'll, I'll say I, that. I think they are but i think i think mom you know, has has I think mom set the table here. You know what I mean? Uh, and uh, from what I've read, mom <laughs> is giving advice on things with Kanye and trying to keep him relevant. Now, if that's true, this just might be a marketing thing to keep, you know, the son-in-law relevant for this new whatever he's going to do. So my guess is that's what's happening that Kanye may may have seen that one tweet that went out and said I like what I like the way she thinks and he tweeted that and it might have just been a one off then the storm started I'm guessing mom gets involved and whether they're furthering all of these things just because you're in the news and any press is good press I don't know but what I do like is the fact that somewhere people that the right could have never reached and never reached not with the message of be conservative but the message that is more important freedom of thought freedom of speech freedom of association freedom to go where you want think what you want listen to what you want without somebody shouting you down is of critical importance 
And I can't believe uh, it, it just may end up being that Kanye West is responsible for lighting a fuse that could blow up what's happening on the university campuses. Well, FEMA is now practicing for an Atlantic hurricane strike, hoping to avoid a repeat of last year's devastation. But hurricane experts are predicting an above-average year with as many as five U.S. landfalls. So that's, of course, according to global warming. I mean, it's finally here. So we know that these, these threats are out there. We know that Russia and cyber terrorism is out there. But no matter what the emergency is, if you prepare now before it's imminent, uh, you're going to be okay. This is the week to build your emergency food supply. You can get the Glenbeck special offer from my friends at My Patriot Supply by buying a two-week emergency food kit and get one week free. I'm sorry, get two weeks free. So you buy one, you get one free. Call 800-200-7163 or online at preparewithglenn.com. The food lasts up to 25 years. It's two-week emergency food storage. They're shipped free to your home. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner for two weeks. Buy one, get one free. But this is limited. Prepare for the worst. Do it right now. 800-200-7163 or preparewithglenn.com. 800-200-7163 or preparewithglenn.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. A transgendered man, a Christian conservative, a Second Amendment advocate, a progressive college professor, a woman who uh, escaped from uh, Venezuela, me, and Riaz Patel. What do you think happens at that dinner? Something amazing happens. Tonight at 5 o'clock, Make America Dinner Again. We premiere uh, tonight. It's going to be streamed commercial-free on the Blaze Facebook page. But if you are a subscriber, you'll be able to see it tonight at uh, 5 o'clock and then on demand. I'm sorry, is it at 5? Yes, it is at 5. At 5 o'clock and then again on demand as soon as it's finished. You don't want to miss this. It's amazing. It's amazing what happens. Kanye going to be on this episode or... uh, <clears throat> no, but maybe maybe next episode, Stu. I could see it. This is the type of thing he's doing now. I uh, yeah, it's going to be pretty. It's a great yeah, we'll show. We'll talk more and next it, week it, about that. It's a great <laughs> conversation that you have. Uh, you know, that's going to air tonight. But I mean, it is a. It's something that I think oddly is very much needed in the country. I mean, it, like, there's no point in the conversation in which you decide you really like socialism. Like, there's no point in this conversation where, you know what, high taxes are the right thing. It's not what this is about. It's about just finding those things because I think they do exist where we we actually do agree with each other. I mean, Kanye West is, is a fairly good example, though I can't yeah. believe we're bringing him again, in that, like, both uh, conservatives and Kanye West want black unemployment to be low. Yes. Right? And it is. It's, it's the lowest it's been in history. So yeah. that's a good thing they can both agree on. Yeah, it, but there there is there is some contentious moments in this tonight when we start talking about uh, gun control. 
um, because it was it was it was a tough conversation. It was actually not. It was a great conversation. It got a little tough when people started saying it's an undisputed fact because there's there's lots of uh, disputed facts. Yeah, it is a uh, a big. Uh, you know, you're going to always have some questions. You're always going to have those moments where you're going to disagree but that's okay like i yeah you know, we, we as human be- that's that and that's kanye west's point right like that's what we should learn out of this yeah. the fact that he disagrees with you um about some issue doesn't mean you shouldn't like his music or should be able to I, flame him on twitter or whatever i sat next to this liberal progressive college professor and uh, we 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 talked about gun control and we both ended with saying this is the best conversation I've had about gun control in a long time. Watch it tonight Glenn at 5. Back. Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Yesterday, I sat down here in Los Angeles with Dave Rubin and had a fascinating conversation. Here's a clip of it. Uh, This is, uh, we were talking about Kanye West and what he thinks this means. I'm not a huge Kanye fan as a as an artist. It's not, I, I like Sinatra and I have Dean Martin playing in my yeah. house all day long. So that's more <laughs> just musically. That's where I'm at. Herb Alpert, you know Herb Yo, Alpert, yes, big seventies guy with the with the horn. Yes, Love Herb I do. Alpert. Okay, so that's what's going on in my house all day long. So this I've isn't got a about great Herb Alpert story. I'll tell do, you oh, before you leave. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait. I can't wait. Um, so I can't talk to Kanye as as in terms of the art specifically, yeah, yeah, yeah. but this guy, without question, is a true mover. He is someone yes. that can say something and move people's minds. Yes. And with him tweeting these seven simple words, I love the way Candace Owens thinks. Candace is a friend of mine. We've, we've just were at Berkeley together last week. She was a lefty. She now has woken up to that. She believes the things that we've been talking about, about identity politics and what democratic policies have done to the black community. She mm-hmm. talks about how it's decimated not only people in her own family, but, but in her community. And now look what's happening. The entire media, Daily Beast, BuzzFeed, Mediaite, all talking about Kanye as far right. Then Scott Adams, the best-selling author and Dilbert creator, offers a little defense of Kanye now. He's far right. I mean, we've seen them do this with a zillion other people that we know, Jordan Peterson, everyone. Well, they that, didn't call him far right. They called him alt right. Oh, and then, well, it's both. Which, yeah. First, they, yeah. well, because they, the reason that they're now using far right a little more than alt right is they realized they really lost they, they went so bananas with that one mm-hmm. that now they've shifted it where you're seeing a little less alt-right, you're mm-hmm. seeing a little more far-right. But what people have woken up to is that anyone, that, first off, Kanye, I don't know if you know this, but Kanye is black. <laughs> so let me get this straight. The new hero of the alt-right is a black man. He's a black man Hitler who thinks for himself. Love yeah, the Jews. I mean, <laughs> love the Jews, love black people. It, but this is, you can always poke holes in these insane ideological yeah. inconsistencies. So if you really want to understand where prejudice comes from, where bigotry comes from, prejudice, what does it mean? Prejudging. If you look at a black man, Kanye, and you go, if he doesn't think, as a white liberal, right? It's because that's who he usually is. This black man doesn't think the way I want him to think. He must be part of the alt-right, or he's a sellout, or he's... Do you think it's possible he has capacity over his own mind? Do you think he might have uh, care for a community that you don't know about or maybe don't care about so, or whatever? So I think he's, I think 
the, the reason that you like what I'm doing, that I've offered mm-hmm. a little a little bit of an outlet here mm-hmm. for people that are coming from the left to go, wait a minute, mm-hmm. freedom, mm-hmm. that's the road. I think Kanye just, with a simple tweet, and now he's been on a major Twitter thing mm-hmm. the last couple of days, I think he's given oxygen in a place that needed oxygen. And all of these people are gonna start coming out and going, so could hey, you me have, too, me too. You have, you're having, you're seeing this. People on the right, Aren't seeing it. Okay? Oh, I, I see it, and and they're they're just not seeing it. And I'm afraid that some on the right are kind of falling into that kind of progressive mindset where you're either all in or you're a traitor. Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah. Um, but y- you you believe there is a big enough movement of, and I don't mean I, I want to make this really clear. I don't need anybody to agree with me. Yep. I don't need to go sell you on my ideology or my thoughts. I just want to be able to have an open, decent conversation and not be a pariah and live next door to somebody who feels the same way. By the way, you just worded that slightly different, but that's pretty much what Kanye is saying in these tweets now. Right. That's all he, he's right. saying, be a free thinker. Right. That's, but, but they can't have free thinkers. This is why they purge everybody. And it's not just someone that might be a black conservative, a Thomas Sowell or a Larry Elder or Candace or Kanye, and I'm not even calling him a conservative, but it's everyone. It's why lefty, lifetime lefty Brett Weinstein at Evergreen State dare say something they don't like. You're not a progressive anymore. You're actually going to lose your job and your wife's going to lose her job too. And it's amazing because to work at Evergreen, that makes that makes Salt Lake City look like Berkeley. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's the thing. So I let know. me get this straight. Let me get this straight. The place, it, they say that, uh, right. that Evergreen is basically the leftmost college in the United States yes. or you know, within the top three or four. You would think if these policies that these guys are promoting all the time are so wonderful and so diverse and all of this nonsense— well, then you'd think it would be a bastion of sanity and yeah. pleasantness. But no, there's literally students wandering around with baseball bats threatening people because Brett decided that he was going to actually defend the idea that you can't segregate based on race. I mean, but we see this consistently. So they keep purging these people and all the same voices keep getting purged. And I think for us, the challenge is we got to sit there, be okay with some differences, which I know yes. that we are, and they'll keep coming. The question is how deep will those guys drag everybody else? And unfortunately, although I do think things are getting better, it will get worse before it, it truly turns. And the question is, what do they take with them? What, you know, like, do they really take down this? Do they take this down in, in their last fit of glory as they're losing? Because I believe they will, they, they can't win because it's a movement of destruction. But do they take this whole thing down with it? That's, that's the question and that's why we gotta fight, right? What's your guess? It will get worse before it gets better, but I think there are so many signs all over the place, from Kanye to the reaction that I'm getting to all of the things that we're talking about here, that average people who are out there who want to live in a truly diverse, tolerant society will come around. And I think they are coming around, and they're just not screaming about it. Maybe they're going to have to start screaming. It's not my style, but maybe we need more screamers on this side. But then it'll be our job to kind of make sure they don't go off the deep end too. 
Yeah, but I'm hopeful. Look, if I wasn't an optimist, I don't know how I could do this, right? Like yeah. fundamentally, I, I'm, I would say I'm a world weary optimist. I, I worry about the world. You know, like you know, like when you're I'm an optimistic, uh, I'm an optimistic catastrophist. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, what I, that's why we can do this. Yeah, but right. you know, when you see somebody like sitting at a coffee shop and they're kind of just staring at it, nothingness. Yeah. Like when I do that, I am truly worrying about the world. I am worrying about what the fate of the world is, really. And I worry about that disproportionate to the the, the what most people are worried about about their little day-to-day yeah, yeah. nonsense. At the same time, I'm an optimist because otherwise, what would be the point? Why would I be doing this? You know, I, you know I could find, I wanted to be in the NBA, you know? I think, I think we are, uh, I think the world hasn't been here since maybe 39. There is no America this time. There's no rock solid, mm-hmm. this is right, this is wrong country. I don't know which one that would be. Um, no, we're the best we got. Yeah, the best we got. Uh, so we're at the same kind of position where the world could go very dark very fast. However, I was in Poland and I was talking to the uh, uh, chief rabbi of Poland there. And uh, I had asked him, you know, only 6,000 righteous stood up for the Jews. Only 6,000? He looked at me like I was crazy. And he said, only? Do you know how hard that was? Yeah. We started talking and he said, listen, he said, you need to, you need to start thinking more uh, uh, with a longer view. He said, if I would have come to you in 1939 and said, and you were Jewish and said, don't worry, in just a few years, in eight years, the state of Israel mm-hmm. will be reset. He said, you would have said I was crazy. He said, the world goes through real periods of darkness, but as long as people are willing to stand up and recognize truth, you get through it. So what's on the other side of this is exciting. Yeah. Can I throw in one other thing? Yeah. So uh, I spoke at a Turning Point USA event, you know, this young college conservative thing about about a week ago. I go, I, I talked about all the differences we had. And I got a standing ovation, despite all of the things that I talk about that are not conservative principles. When I was there, there's a guy that goes to these events and he hands out these big constitutions and uh, Bill of Rights, and I'm putting them up in my in my studio. You'll see them next time we're there. And I have them on the plane with me, and I'm watching on the plane. I was watching The Darkest Hour, the, the Churchill movie. Did, did you see I it? I love it. And I was feeling, like, I really was feeling like, wow, I'm living the life that I want to live. Like, I just mm-hmm. talked about the things that I want to talk about. Here, I've got the Declaration of Constitution in the, in the mm-hmm. you know, thing above me. I'm watching this movie. And the thing about Churchill, the only thing that you need to really know about this guy, as everybody else from Chamberlain on down was trying to sell out and figure out ways to mitigate and not, mm-hmm. don't really face the truth, don't really mm-hmm. face evil. All the guy said was, no, mm-hmm. that's it. No, we're not going to do this. We're going to, you know, you got the royal family thinking we're going to move to Canada. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. And Churchill's going, no, we're going to, and, and that's all that anyone that's watching and he this. almost gave up until somebody else said no with him. Yeah. You know, it's interesting about Churchill, because I'm fascinated by Churchill. Churchill was a really bad guy. He made in, a, a in lot India, of mistakes. Yeah. In India, he was a nightmare, yeah. you know? And uh, there's so many people that want to on the left, totally dismantle Churchill because of what he did in India. But if that was all he was, okay. But he was also this. And that's who we are. We, throughout history, man is always in conflict. He is always, well, I think this, 
but I'm blind to what I'm saying over here, which I should apply. And if we, in the end, when he was pushed and pushed and pushed on India, he did go back and say, I treated Gandhi horribly. I shouldn't have done these things. I mean, we have to take both sides and learn from that. We are just people of our time. My favorite founder, who you mentioned before, Thomas Jefferson, he owned slaves while he was writing the laws to free slaves. That doesn't mean you rip down the monuments. Right. That doesn't mean you destroy the past. Yeah. The past is what made us now, and it's what's gonna make the future. So accept we're all flawed characters. We're all trying, we're all trying. But Do you think we ever get to a point to where, you know, like the Me Too movement, where there, the, some now, some I've seen, I've seen Dustin Hoffman, you know, raked over the coals. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? Yeah, oh yeah. For, you know, what he did in 1971. It was a different world in 1971. And that was his point. It was a different world in 1971. Some will accept that. Many don't. But as I see that, we can use this as an example. Yes, Absolutely. it was a different world. Just as it was, <laughs> it was a different world back in 1771. Yeah, but you know what? If we lose this fight, if we lose this fight, the amount of things that the culture will tell us that we believe now to be totally decent things, it doesn't even matter what they are, that I watched The Simpsons or something. Actually, that's a pretty good example. It is. Because you've got these people now attacking Apu, who is a beloved character in probably the greatest comedy of all time, who taught them about immigration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had Indian weddings and all of this stuff. But they will, what, if if you don't hold on to something now, and that thing keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. Everything, everything. They will find every video, every radio show that Glenn Beck ever oh, yeah. did and, and tell you what, a, what an a hateful extremist yeah, and all of that. So that we're fighting. This is the beauty. We're, we're fighting for society, but really we're fighting for ourselves. And, and if you stand there and you go, I'm going to stand for myself, other people will join you because they want to stand for themselves. Courage is contagious. Damn right. And you are a plague in shoes. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Thanks. Thanks, brother. You bet. It's Dave Rubin. Tomorrow, a bit of our conversation, I asked him about abortion, and it's a phenomenal conversation. He is, remember, he's a guy who just a year ago said, I was a progressive, and then started to see people uh, on the progressive side shut down free speech, and he thought, you know, I got to rethink this. He is a remarkably brave man. You can find him on the Rubin Report uh, and uh, find his podcast on, uh, you know, Apple iTunes or wherever you want to find your podcast, the Rubin Report. All right, I want to tell you about our sponsor this half hour and thank 1-800-Flowers for their sponsorship of this program. Uh, these are the roses. If you happen to be watching on the Blaze TV or online, this is uh, th- this is what you can get. 36 for 36 now for Mother's Day. But you have to order now. It's a limited time offer. You can always get, and I never understood this, but here's why. You can always get a better value if you order in advance. And the reason why is because they need to put in their orders for Mother's Day. And so if they know that they can count on you, it just makes it a lot easier. So you can get a great deal right now. 36 beautiful roses, long stem roses for 36 bucks. But you can only get them now at uh, 1-800-Flowers. 1-800-Flowers. You can call them or you can go to 1-800-Flowers.com. 1-800-Flowers.com. Now you click on the radio microphone and you enter the promo code B-E-C-K, Beck, and you can get this special offer, but it ends tomorrow. 
So if you want to make sure you're all buttoned up for Mother's Day, now is the time to do it. 1-800-Flowers.com, 1-800-Flowers.com, promo code Beck. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. We have Ian Bremer on, um, the author of the new book, Us Versus Them, The Failure of Globalism. He's coming up in just a second. Lots of interesting things to hear from Ian that we want to share with you. And Dave Rubin, you know, talked, he spoke up when it was difficult, right? Like he, he realized his side had screwed something up. He didn't like where his yeah. side was going. And he spoke up yeah. against the people he worked with and everything else. Let me give you two examples where we need more of this right now. Uh, Ronnie Jackson, the guy who is uh, being uh, tossed up as the v- the head of the VA uh, by Donald Trump, the personal doctor of Trump, but also the personal doctor of Obama for eight years. This guy's being absolutely slaughtered in the media right now. He's the, apparently mm-hmm. the worst guy ever. Huge drinking problem. All of these things. He was praised constantly by Obama when Obama was there. Where is Barack Obama this week? You might might not agree that he should run the VA, and you can make that point. I don't know if he has the necessary experience, but where are you defend, stepping up in a moment where this guy, who was your doctor, your personal doctor for eight years, defending your life as the when you were president of the United States, where are you saying one word of positive things about this guy? Because and you, how much does it? How much does that hurt? Oh, you know, you're, you're the personal doctor. You had a good relationship. He knows you. He can stop this madness. And he fails to say anything? Doesn't say a word. Just lets you hang out there until your career gets destroyed. So bad. And one more, which deserves more attention. But we hear all the time, you know, there's obviously crazy uh, pro-choice people out there. But we hear a lot of really normal pro-choice people. Where are the the average, everyday person who describes himself as a sane pro-choice person speaking up for Alfie right now? Why is it only pro-life people? This, this child is born. The child's two years old. Why? Where are the pro-choice people speaking out on behalf of Alfie? Why is it only us? Where are the... Honestly, where are the pro-life preachers? Where are the preachers? Where's the clergy in this? The Pope is out front. Where's everyone else? Glenn Beck. Mercury. Well, we knew the universities were hostile towards free thinkers, but now we have to worry about middle schoolers as well. An eighth grader, Jacob Hine, faced ridicule, not from classmates, but from his bully of a teacher. This teacher bullied him for holding conservative beliefs, or worse, for just bringing a conservative news source to class as part of his homework. The assignment was to find an article about current events and then translate it into Spanish. Yes, that's right. This was for a Spanish class. Here's Jacob's father describing what happened to his son. He turned an article on the U.S. Navy uh, capturing a UFO on uh, their radar. Um, She came up to him in class in front of everybody and said, uh, I noticed that you cited Fox News on your last article as well. And uh, 
I want you to know that Fox News is fake news. Uh, it's full of lies, and you no longer to use Fox News as a source for any of these assignments. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he was embarrassed, uh, scared. Um, she went on to say that uh, she has a new assignment for him. He's not to do the normal hom- homework assignment tonight. He's actually to uh, Google any of President Trump's many lies that he's told since he's been president and turn in a full-page paper on that. Wow. This is a Spanish class. The teacher's elitism and intimidation would come as no surprise if Jacob were part of a political science class or really any humanities class at this point. But the hysterios would still be silly, though still uncalled for, if Jacob were in a high school civics class or a history class or some sort of social justice mesh of the two. But it isn't. This is Spanish. Middle school Spanish. His Spanish lessons should involve... Colors, days of the week, an awkward introductory phrase, perhaps even donde esta el baño. Why is a Spanish teacher worried about the content of the article at all or where the where the uh, article came from? The assignment is to one, find an article about current events and two, translate it into Spanish. If he would have taken a, a, a page from Playboy magazine, do you think the teacher would have said, you can't, you can't read Playboy magazine? Do you know that it's full of pornography? Do you think the left would have cared? Not only has Trump derangement syndrome seized our cultural landscape, it has infested the lives of our children. It has assumed our lives. All we can do now is just be honest. Just be honest. Be as kind as possible. And respond to obstinate fury with dignity and grace. It's Thursday, April 26th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Ian Bremmer worked really hard as a kid with the help and encouragement of his single mom his uh, dad died when he was four and he rose up from the projects and earned a college scholarship then eventually earned a phd in political science he was the youngest ever national fellow at the hoover institution in 1998 he he took an idea and built it into a company he had twenty five thousand dollars and he started the eurasia group and it's a, um, a a leading geopolitical risk research and consulting firm. He's still the president of that firm today. Uh, now that $25,000 investment of his and the idea has offices in New York, Washington, London, Tokyo, Sao Paulo, and San Francisco, as well as a network of experts and resources in 90 different countries. Larry Sanders said geopolitical economy has no sharper or more prescient analysis uh, than Ian Bremmer. Ian, welcome to the program. Good to be back with you, Glenn. Thanks for having me. You bet. So um, you've just written a new book, and we talked about it last time you were on, uh, Us Versus Them, The Failure of Globalism. Uh, and it's, it's pretty fascinating. Can you give us the, give us the premise of it? Well, the premise of it, I'm glad you kind of introduced my background a bit because, you know, um, I'm not raised to be a globalist. Uh, no one in the projects where I grew up was. Um, you know, everyone just wanted an opportunity to have a job and maybe do a little better for themselves. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but when I got out, um, I certainly, you know, sort of believed uh, that all, all of the things that the elites uh, in the United States were saying, uh, that we wanted free markets, that we wanted open borders, that we should make the world safe for democracy and send our troops all over the world, especially when we defeated the Soviets that way, right? And, uh, and the technology would sort of, you know, help everybody as a consequence, too. And, you know, looking here in 2018, we realized that while that's worked really well for the globalists, uh, there are a lot of Americans and growing every day, as well as a lot of Europeans and growing every day, who really feel like that ideology has failed them. Um, and that's true whether you're talking about the Democrats or Republicans, whether you're talking mm-hmm. about the political leaders, the business leaders, the establishment media, or the professors. And I think that's why you got Trump. It's why you got Brexit. It's why Macron, uh, his calls for stronger Europe and for U.S. multilateralism are falling on deaf ears. Uh, and I, I and like it's going to get worse. I, I like the fact that you point out in your book that it's, it's not only Trump, but it's why you get Bernie Sanders. Absolutely. I mean, you know, my my mother, if she were alive today, would have voted for Trump or would have voted for Sanders if he'd been the candidate. There's no way she would have voted for yet another member of the establishment that she believed was lying to her and not caring about her. She said the only way her family was going to make it is if she did something because she wasn't going to trust those Washington folks. Now, she used to read the National Enquirer every week. She brought it home, early fake news, as it were. But there was a more fundamental truth that spoke to her because she thought that all the fancy facts that were being pushed at her, they might have been right, they might have had science behind them, but they were pushed by people promoting their own agenda and, and not caring about her, um, you so, know, whether it's building infrastructure and education or health care or whatever. So, Ian, I, 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 when people say globalist, you know, you're a globalist, um, I, I, I'm not sure people are defining it in the same way. For, for instance, I don't have a problem with global business. I don't have a, I want free trade. I want all of these things. But here's what has happened is we have buried our own uh, um, uniqueness in a way. I think, you know, by 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 the European Union being trade partners, that's good. But by being a single block and saying, hey, Italians, you're no different than the Swiss and, and the Swiss, you're no different than the English. People do recognize that our countries are are a little different, and it's not nationalism. It's just um, uh, a a pride of who you are and where you grew up. Does that make sense? Of course it does. And and the Americans historically have done a much better job of integrating people from different cultures all over the world when they come in than the Europeans do. Um, and that's one of the reasons why Germany, which has a, an economy doing very well right now, and the working class in Germany feels like they have a social contract that takes care of them, a safety net. But Merkel got destroyed in her elections on the back of saying, we're going to take in a million Syrian refugees. Right. And Berlusconi got destroyed in Italy. His party lost to the Northern League, and that's in the part of Italy that's making all the money. It's not the South. Because they promised that they were going to deport 600,000 Libyans that had been allowed in as migrants over the past years. So, so what is the problem with globalism, and, and how, do we, how, do we, how do we not retreat into, um, into protectionism uh, and this nonsense that jobs are coming back? Because jobs are m- being lost to high tech more than they are to China. 
Um, how do we how do we thread this needle, if you will? Well, you're, you're absolutely right that this is not a problem of free trade per se. And free trade, we know, leads to a lot more growth and opportunities for the global economy and for the United States than protectionism would. And yet the average American is not going to support free trade and shouldn't if it means that no one is going to take that money and invest in their communities, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the solutions are fairly obvious. I mean, you know, Trump talks about infrastructure week, which has become almost the punchline of a joke, right, uh, after a year and a half, um, while every day he's talking about building the wall. It should be the other way around. You should be talking every day about infrastructure and building the wall. You can talk about when you campaign and then you kind of let it go, right? I mean, it's, are you going to fix the schools? Are you going to give people, especially the early K-4 through education, as opposed to being at the bottom of the league tables with the OECD, as the Americans now are? And, and there are solutions that are being developed at the local level. I see in Baltimore that Johns Hopkins is teaming up with a bunch of corporate CEOs to try to bridge town and gown and really make a difference for the people that otherwise just look at the university as, you know, sort of something untouchable behind a wall. And then other other cities are starting to pick that up. I see some CEOs doing universal training that they're paying for, like Randall Stevenson from AT&T. Um, but these are small-scale experiments. There's nothing happening at the national level. The Democrats, are all they're doing is tearing down Trump every day and talking about impeachment, but they're not actually credible in telling the people that feel left behind that they're going to do any better than Trump is for them. And I think that's true across Europe, too. Interesting, so, uh, you know, interesting timing with your book this week is uh, we talked to Jonah Goldberg, whose book also came out this week, and you guys really hit on a lot of similar themes. One of the points that that we talked to him about, and I think you, you talk about as well, is that sort of the natural state of people is to go into these sort of tribal uh, worlds and that we're mm-hmm. we're we autumn sort of our human instinct is to look at these things and not be able to necessarily see the big picture where when you're talking about how for example free trade makes the world a better place but if you're not getting anything out of it and you feel sort of uh disassociated by that it's a real problem is there a way to communicate to people you know hey these things are generally speaking a good thing but we need to handle them better and we need to make sure that our leaders are getting the money to the right places yeah they they have to feel like they're being taken care of one big piece that no one seems to talk about in globalization is the United States sending troops all over the world for failed wars. And, you know, this is exactly the same group that voted for Sanders and voted for Trump. There's no way you were going to vote for Hillary or Jeb Bush if, you know, sort of you are an enlisted man or woman or married to one or extended family of one that came back in pieces with a a Veterans Administration that didn't take care of Mm -hmm. you. We've got 17 years of Afghanistan now. It's the longest war we've ever fought in our entire history. And the foreign policy establishment can give you all sorts of good reasons. I can give you good reasons why, you know, we need to keep the Russians down and geostrategic reasons. But, for, you know, if, if you're one of the people that's been sent into that war, that, that's meant nothing to you because you're not being taken care of. Because you're not yes. considered a hero when you come back. And, you know, mm-hmm. Trump has give Trump credit. He's the one guy talking about bringing those 2,000 American troops in Syria home. He hasn't done mm-hmm. it yet. But at least he's talking about it. And so I think this is so much deeper than just we need to give these people a check. 
especially because the economy right now is doing incredibly well, right? Better, better than we've seen at any point since the financial crisis, and yet you still have this anger. So it clearly is deeper than just, let me give you a little bit back from your taxes, let me give you a Christmas time bonus. Well, you know, I, 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 uh, let me go back to what you said about the wall. I think the wall is a symptom of, of people being tired of being lied to by the press, by, you know, the administrations, uh, by Congress. What people really want is or what they what uh, let me say this. I think what they fear or feel is not, uh, you know, as the press would say, otherness. Uh, what they fear is that people are coming in here. We don't know who they are. Uh, some of them uh, have caused real problems. Others are just, you know, hardworking families. But you don't know which is which. And most importantly, th- we're trapping people in a secondary culture. It, there's a there's a subculture here uh, of America. What made America really truly great was people would come in and they would assimilate. But now the assimilation is over, and in fact, all we're celebrating now is our differences while denigrating the American culture, the traditional American culture. And I think people say, you know, I don't believe anybody in Congress anymore that you're going to actually have comprehensive immigration reform that is good. You're not going to pay attention to the border. This border wall is permanent, and so I don't have to listen to you clowns anymore. I think that's what's happening. And the more that the press and the the ruling class dismisses the voice and the feelings of the people, the more they're going to they're going to say, you know, you're in trouble. And I want this, which is it it just becomes more and more extreme as you go down the road. If you want integration of immigrants, you need common values in a country. You need civic nationalism that works. Yes. You had mentioned, Glenn, that, um, you know, uh, that automation and technology is taking away far more jobs now than globalization uh, has. And you're right about that, manufacturing jobs, clearly. But the other piece of technology, of course, is that in the West, technology right now is ripping apart civic nationalism. We're getting our information from advertising companies that treat us not as citizens of a collective, a nation, but instead as consumers, and they need to divide us so that we can be more clear demographics to be advertised to. I mean, Everything Uh in society today in the United States and in Europe is moving us farther apart from common and shared values. Trump is taking advantage of that more than anyone out there because he is the ultimate us versus them politician. He's the one that's able to really say you're winners or you're losers. You're with us or against us. And America first, everyone else second. That's the way it should be. But when when that's what people identify with, then clearly you're not going to have any support for large numbers of immigrants coming in precisely because the mechanisms to integrate will go away. My grandmother came to Ellis Island from Aleppo, Syria. She was an Armenian and Syrian Christian. And uh, that's, I mean, for me, when I grew up, that's what I thought America was all about. I I wanted to bring in all of these diverse people because it was going to, that cultural diversity would lead to diversity of ideas, entrepreneurship, and what truly made America great. 
but people don't feel that anymore, and the trends in our society are moving in the other direction. Okay, so Ian Bremmer is uh, with us. He, he is the author of the book Us Versus Them, The Failure of Globalism. It's available uh, this week everywhere uh, the books are found. We'll continue the conversation here in just a second. First, let me tell you about our sponsor this half hour. It's Goldline. I read a disturbing uh, piece of news today. Just the way that it was phrased. Let me see if I can do it. Uh, Here it is. Americans are hoarding money in their checking accounts, and that's a problem. Wait a minute. Americans are hoarding money? No, uh, Americans don't feel as comfortable with the banks and with the economy as maybe they should. Uh, And so what they're doing is they're keeping it in a checking account. This is disturbing because of the word hoarding. And the article goes on to uh, to talk about the dangers of, quote, hoarding money. Well, that's uh, that's disturbing because what I think one of the reasons why we hoard money is we don't trust the system. We need something we can trust in the meantime, when things have gone insane on the brink. Historically speaking, people go to gold. Gold and silver. With rising inflation, gold is the hedge. It's not an all-in kind of strategy. It's it's a hedge against inflation. It's a hedge against insanity. That's why you should have uh, you know your money in diverse places. Gold, I recommend, is one of them. Right now, you can call Goldline and uh, find out, ask for the free information on why smart investors are investing in gold and hedging the bet. You can call today, see how easy it is to own gold and silver, but do your own research. 866-GOLDLINE, 1-866-GOLDLINE, or goldline.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. back we're talking to ian bremmer he has written a uh, a great book about the failure of globalism us versus them uh when we come back i i i want to get into some solutions but i also uh, he he talks a lot about ai in the book and the coming technology uh, technological revolution and uh when you want to talk about us versus them there there is a time coming when politicians will do what all politicians do and when they can when they have to stop blaming china for the loss of jobs they're going to have to turn to somebody else and that's going to be high tech that's going to be the makers of ai how do we weather that and when will the average person begin to really feel the impact of ai and what does it mean for stability in the country and stability in the rest of the world when we come back. Glenn Beck, Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Ian Bremmer, author of the book, Us Versus Them, The Failure of uh, Globalism, is uh with us and uh, ian let me 
let me take you to uh, what you write about uh, with AI and the rise of of AI. You see, as I do, great disruption. Um, I see um, the human story uh, as being, you know, corrupt politicians and uh, and the use of fear to drive us into really dark places or the opportunity to really expand and be great. Can you tell me when AI you think is going to really begin to impact people in a way that they see? Well, we know, I mean, it's already uh, affecting us greatly uh, in terms of uh, big data and being able to use voice and facial recognition to more effectively sort people Mm -hmm. that facilitates more consumption. But in China, for example, it means that you don't see uh, demonstrations in Xinjiang anymore, in northwest China, because they uh, have the ability uh, from satellite um, to uh, to identify, you know, sort of every citizen and where they are and when there's a problem, and so no more violence, right? Um, that's mm. kind of 1984 ish, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and and look, I, I I think that AI um, going forward over the next for sort of 10 years in the United States in the 48, the lower 48, a driving being a t- trucker or a car driver is the is the single or second most popular job um, in every single one of those states. And within 10 years, those jobs are going to be go away, right? And every CEO I talk to in the United States, literally everyone, they can be in pharma, they can be in broad manufacturing, they can be in high tech, you name it. They're all telling banking, uh, lawyers, accountants, they're all telling me about how they can make more money with fewer people going forward. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's in a great economy. That's not when a recession hits and suddenly they have to actually dig deep into their costs and suddenly lay off a bunch of people. Um, AI may well develop a lot of new jobs in new fields, but we know that the people that are being displaced right now do not have the skills to enter any of those jobs. And there's no plans to train them. And in the United States, at least we're rich. So, I mean, if you're working class and you suddenly don't have a job or you have to be part-time, you're not going to starve. You're not going to set yourself on fire like they did in Tunisia. But in emerging markets who have benefited, their middle classes have benefited the most from globalization because they had cheap labor. Well, their labor is more expensive now. Now that the computers are coming, what's going to happen to them? What happens to all of those countries and their middle classes? That's when this becomes not an issue we need to talk about, but suddenly a real crisis. And well, I, I'm... I, go ahead. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I, I'm, I'm concerned, however, we have a very low uh, threshold for pain uh you know we we're not going to starve to death but we also expect an awful lot um i i don't think people are really thinking through what uh ai is going to mean uh so there and nobody's really teaching them and so it's going to come as a surprise you know people right now politicians are saying i'm going to bring your jobs back no they're not that's a lie that's a lie the jobs are not coming back and we don't have a willingness, and I, I want to say this carefully because it's a conservative audience, and, and you need to understand that we have to explore seriously all options because the world is changing, but a lot of people are not willing to look at universal basic income, which I'm not for, I don't think will work, but something is going to have to be done 
because we're going to look at 30 percent unemployment. That's according to Bain Capital by 2030. Yep. That's I, not that's not a workable uh, uh, society. I don't like universal basic income either. I think it's an it's an easy you know sort of uh, ideological fix that yes. you know, sort of obviates the requirements of governments to actually ensure that people matter. Um, yeah. Well, Finland Finland just it, Finland has been experimenting for two years, and Finland just dropped their experiments that it, it failed. So. That's right, and and yeah. Switzerland was gonna, had a big vote for it last year, voted against it. Um, but you know, I think there are other ways uh, to get at this issue. But we need to recognize that the country that's doing the most to address this right now is actually China, where they have more industrial robots than any other country in the world. They're leading the world mm-hmm. in, in producing them, um, mm-hmm. and at the same time, they're leading the world as a government in ensuring the continued employment of inefficient labor. You remember, so remember how do you do, so how do you do Ian how do you, how do you do that without fundamentally um, changing your constitution into something along the lines of the former Soviet Union or China where everybody's guaranteed a job that that's fundamentally against the American nature the New Deal uh, on the back of the Great Depression. Uh, had all sorts of incredible public works projects through the government for average Americans. That wasn't anti-American. That's what you do when otherwise, you know, on the back of the Gilded Age, when structural inequality in the U.S. grew way out of whack and the average person didn't have anything. That's when we put Social Security in place. That's when we suddenly gave people pensions. Um, you know, I mean, so none of those was done. But none of those are workable. None of those are workable solutions because the math doesn't work. You know, I mean, that's why we're one of the reasons why we're, you know, so we're the biggest debtor in the world um, is because we we wanted the the great society. We are the biggest debtor in the world, but um, we also have the greatest assets. And I, I don't understand people that only focus on deficit spending. We don't look at the other side of the, of the balance sheet. When you talk about a corporation, you'd never talk about debt by itself if you were going to invest in their stock or not. There's a reason why the dollar remains the global reserve currency. We're about to pass Saudi Arabia as the world's leading oil producer later this year. We're the world's leading food producer. We're exporting to the Chinese. They're importing from us. We've got the world's largest military. We have the best universities in the world. Our ability to spend, if we want to, on making us have the best you know, early school training uh, and have digital training follow people through their lifetimes, we could do that if we wanted to. It's not a priority. And it's not a priority because I think that the average person can take more pain in the United States. It's just not that urgent. We're not demonstrating. So, so, but here's a here's a problem with that, Ian. Is um, the government has proven itself to be wildly inefficient in a lot yes. of those uh, in in those categories. And okay. if you go to Washington, and I know I know you know this, I talk to people in Washington uh, about high tech and the future. They are so out of touch uh, with. I mean, it is it's it's like talking to a you know the, somebody in the Bell system. You know about uh, about the internet. They don't. They just don't even understand it yet. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you, there's no question uh, that if we're going to have efficient solutions that are going to work, they're going to start at least 
uh, in the private sector, and they're going to start in state governments and in city governments. They're not going to start with Washington. But you were asking me what the solutions were, and you said we can't pay for solutions. I don't think that's true. I think we absolutely can, and I think you can do public-private partnerships, too. I think there's lots of ways that the U.S. government doesn't have to take over programs but could help fund them could help provide, you know, sort of in the same way that we do X prizes um, to try to create private sector competition, and that DARPA, which is part of the U.S. government, got driverless cars moving by funding competitions that the private right. sector and universities had gotten into. Why, why yes. can't our government fund competitions to fix this with big money? We could do that. We're not doing it. Yeah. So I, uh, so I, agree, I agree with that. I just think this requ- is going to require vastly different thinking at the political level uh, than, than anybody that I've, uh, that I've seen uh, that wants to run, because they're all still feeding a machine uh, that is you know that that is really i mean is is big state looks like you know the 1950s uh and it's going to move faster than that it's going to be different than that and we just need some innovative thinking when you say we can't we can't afford it i agree with you that our assets are great what concerns me is we're spending money on crazy stupid stuff wildly inefficiently and the people in washington they're, they're, it's not like they're running a business. It's, it's, they're running a campaign all the time. And so there's, there's nobody at the helm, it seems. The, the, the swamp is not being drained, and electing Donald Trump did nothing to drain the swamp. Electing Barack Obama did nothing to drain the swamp. And those structural challenges for the U.S. government are the reasons why, in the near term, what we're going to see is a lot more walls. Because if you can't address this, if you refuse to address this by actually helping the people, then the political response, mm-hmm. the successful mm-hmm. political response is, I'm going to create us versus them. I'm going to show yes. you, yes. I'm going to give you yes. the nationalism. It worked in Israel against the Palestinians. Mm-hmm. No one talks about a two-state solution anymore. It's great as long as you're on the right side of the wall. And I fear that that's the quote-unquote solution that we are increasingly embracing mm. in the U.S. because no one is swamp training. Ian Bremmer, uh, author of Us Versus Them, The Failure of Globalism. Thank you so much, Ian. I appreciate it. Great to be with you. We obviously uh, disagree on a lot of things, but there is a lot to agree on there. Uh, very, uh, very astute at what is coming and, and the us versus them disease uh, that politician will turn to if we're not self-educated enough to know what the real problems are. Ian Bremer and uh, us versus them, the future of globalism. All right, let me tell you about uh, uh, the Palm Beach letter and something that we have uh, asked them to do for you and honestly for me. Uh, I've talked about Bitcoin for years. In fact, if I would have if I would have been comfortable with what Bitcoin is, how it works, etc., I would have invested. Oh, I think it was it was about two hundred dollars when I first was told by one of the real big guys in, uh, in Silicon Valley. You know, you should really look into Bitcoin and invest in Bitcoin. I didn't do it. Uh, because I believe, you know, in uh, uh, what's his name, the big investor, Stu, from uh, uh, from Nebraska, 
Oh, shoot. What's his name? Anyway, uh, when he said, uh, you know, don't invest in something that you don't that you don't understand. Yes. Thank you. Warren Buffett. Uh, I, I didn't understand it. Well, that kept me out of the market for a long time. Now, I've made a lot of money. Bitcoin is back up on a real big upswing. What's the percentage increase, Stu, in the last about month or so? About 50%. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. Uh, it's very volatile and risky. You don't want to go all in on it, but you do want to do your homework. So we found a guy named Tika Tawari. He's from the Palm Beach Letter, former Wall Street hedge fund manager who has arguably helped more people profit from cryptocurrencies than anybody else. We brought him into the office, and can you explain how this works? Can you explain how to invest in it? He did. So we asked him, can you make a course for our audience? That's what he's done. It's a master course. And I I want you to go right now to the website, smartcryptocourse.com, smartcryptocourse.com, and start your course right now. I urge you to check out this Glenbeck exclusive course at smartcryptocourse.com now. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. So I went to Shakey's Pizza last night. It's a big day. Is a memory from your childhood? Yeah. There's no player piano anymore. There's a. It was. It, it, it was. It did. It, it had taken away many of the Shakey's things that were, you know. So you were left with uh, pizza. Just, just <laughs> really good pizza, though. At least. Well, it was. A, it was pizza that uh, you know. Shakey's, you know, is spelled with an S-H right in the front for a reason, I think. <laughs> and Oh, no. And that's because it's Shakey's Pizza. Uh, was not so uh, uh, everything you remembered about it? Well, no, it is exactly the way I remember the pizza. Uh, you know, I was looking for the experience, you know, of the old, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same old place. It wasn't, you know, you can't go back in time. But I found out that they do weddings, mm-hmm. you know, and and I'm just saying, yeah. I haven't been to the other shakies, which seems to be like the old one where you would see them, you know, flip the dough and, you know, throw it up in the air and stuff. I don't know for sure, but there is another shakies. And I'm just thinking that, you know, maybe sometime when we're out here, that if somebody wants to get married... And I can perform the ceremony there at Shakey's. <laughs> Are you advertising your availability? Just, I'm a... just I'm just saying, and I would maybe buy everybody a pitcher of beer, you know, individually. So you 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 would each get a pitcher of beer, a whole pitcher wedding. for each person. Well, I think this yes. Is... Remember, Shakey's opened up on their grand opening without any pizza, just the beer. And so maybe maybe that would be a good idea, uh, you know, of just it's one. That's I'm just one description of it. Uh, good idea yes. is one available description. Right. I'm I'm just saying that I was intrigued that they they do wedding receptions there. <laughs> is that a popular and I have not, thing? I just, do a I lot don't of know. I'm not from California, so I don't know. Lots of things are popular in California that I do not understand. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of people on the streets here that you, 
I just would like to stop and just say, can we sit down and talk for a minute? Because I need to understand, well, let's just start with the outfit. I just need to, Yeah. you got up this morning, what else, what other options were in your closet? Interesting, because talking to them is actually the exact opposite of my instinct when I go to California. I kind of just never want to speak yeah. to anyone ever again. No, I'm I'm a little I'm very curious about people here. I really I just because they they everybody's trying to make a statement and I really kind of want to know what other options did you have? <laughs> Were there is your whole closet like this or was this just one you pulled out and went, I don't know, I think this one works. Options. Life's all about options and <laughs> diversity, and the diversity here is worth talking to. Glenn Beck, Mercury. Love, courage, truth. Glenn. Yesterday, a cold rain muted Dallas. Gray clouds hung overhead, and rain mostly puttered down. Most people stayed indoors. The day before, it was sunny and warm, and so the sudden cold that moved in overnight felt somehow or another twice as cold. But that isn't why the city moved a little slower yesterday. A Dallas police officer, Rogelio Santander, and fellow officer, Crystal Almeida, were in a hospital. Officer Santander died at 11 o'clock, sorry, at 8 o'clock. And Almeida lay in a hospital bed, wounded in critical condition. It was on Tuesday about 4 p.m. that they arrived at a Home Depot in Lake Highlands. It's a neighborhood northeast of Dallas. An off-duty police officer was working there as a security guard, and he caught a man shoplifting. Something, though, felt off. And the man pulled a gun from his pocket and started shooting right at Officer Almeida and Officer Santander, hitting the off-duty officer, a bystander. Shots fired, the call went out. The shooter fled, roaring away in his shabby white Ford 250. The ladder rack was rattling as he sped from the scene. Shots fired, officer down. In Dallas, the scars are still pretty fresh. Slightly less than two years ago, Dallas was the scene of a senseless violence directed at police when a hate-driven shooter killed five Dallas police officers who had been protecting protesters, Black Lives Matter. Many of these protesters were protesting the police themselves. For those of us in Dallas, we remember the scene. And for those of us in Dallas, it's playing out all over again. At a press conference... Following this week's shooting, Mayor Mike Rawlings spoke with the gravity of somebody who's been through all of this before. Once again, it it sobers us to realize what officers 
walk into day in and day out and how quickly they can become victims. I am continued to be upset at the lack of respect of our police in this city and in, in, in our country. And now's the moment that we can lift them up. These press conferences have become, unfortunately, familiar to all of us. It was just a couple of days ago that Sergeant Noel Ramirez and Deputy Taylor Lindsay were shot dead while eating lunch. Yesterday, Deputy Corporal Dale Lancaster of Maine died in a gunfight. In Yarmouth, Massachusetts, a police sergeant, Sean Gannon, was shot dead in an attic. That's just in the last few days. Since the beginning of the year, at least two dozen police officers have died by gunfire, died violently. I think it's important that we at least hear their names. I think it's important that we see their pictures in the news and hear their stories. Maybe, just maybe, if we just hear their name, it will help people see the value of the life that is wearing blue. It's Thursday, April 26th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome to Jonathan Dunn, one of our writers and good friends from Ireland, who is uh, who has been watching the Alfie Evans story for us in the last couple of weeks. Jonathan, how are you, sir? Thank you so much for having me, Glenn. It's uh, it's great to be here. Just wish it was under uh, better circumstances. So, what is what's happened with Alfie Evans since uh, the last twenty four hours? So, the last twenty four hours is. Um, been pretty good for a young Alfie. He's um, he's not having major complications. He's still um, he's still breathing. Um, he's still in the hospital. Um, the biggest update is that um, uh, Thomas has met with the um, the doctors in Alderhay this morning. They're trying to get him. They're pleading with them to let him to go home. Um, and the last update we had was that he was pretty confident some agreement could be reached and that he'd be home in the next one to two days. But that hasn't been so, confirmed yet. Jonathan, we are looking to send this boy home when instead he is now an Italian citizen. The Italians have said this is this is the murder of an Italian citizen. Uh, the the Pope wants him. The hospitals are ready. The Pope is has a helicopter ready to go to take him. Why why won't the government let him go to to Italy? Um, there's many reasons for this. This is all boiling down to. There are many reasons we need to discuss this story. It's about the sanctity of life. Um, it's a, it's about is life actually truly precious, and is life worth doing everything you can to stand for this issue? Um, we have a system in in Europe right now where we have two problems. One, we don't believe life is sacred. Um, you know, been on the ground there in Liverpool on Monday. It was an amazing, amazing thing. There's a clear class system in England, and what? Hello. Did we lose Jonathan? I knew this connection was just too good to be true from from Ireland. Read his report at uh, glenbeck.com because he 
he described the scene. He went to the hospital, and he was just standing there uh, in the crowd. And Jonathan uh, usually wears black, and he wears a big cross around his neck. And he said that um, people came up to him and said, are you a priest? And he said no. And their next comment was astounding. Well, where are the priests? Jonathan didn't have an answer. Where are the religious people? Where? How come the priests aren't leading their congregations to stand for this life? The Pope is. Where are the priests? It's mm-hmm. a pretty amazing article, and you can find it at glenbeck.com. Um, yeah. Do we have him back on? Is he back on? Uh, no. Uh, okay. It doesn't look like we're All going. right. Well, just thank him for that uh, report, and if he has more to report, we'll, we'll make sure we have him on tomorrow. One interesting thing, Glenn, quickly on this is uh, we were talking about how where are the pro-choice people kind of standing up for this? Because if you're a pro-choicer, you're... You're, you, of course, don't think that, you know, uh, life in the womb is life, but this is not life in the womb. This is life two years out of the womb uh, and deserves your support. And I think it would mean a lot, right, coming from pro-choice people if they yes. could actually find that line. Well, especially if you say, if you say, you know, I believe in a mother's right to choose or a woman's right to choose. Mom is choosing life for her child mm-hmm. and her child is already born. Are we really in a culture of death? Why is it no one is standing up for this kid? Uh, Or very few. Interesting. uh, Now, Piers Morgan is not exactly a huge figure here in the United States at this point, uh, but he's still a pretty big (laughs) figure in uh, in the UK. And he Mm -hmm. actually has tweeted his support uh, for Alfie. Let them take him home. Um, which, you know, is the that's not real support. I don't think that's real support. I don't know. I think I really it's something. Don't. It's something. You get him home. And- no, it is. It is. You know, let me take him home. But th- excuse me. Let me take him to a hospital that will treat him. Yeah. I got to do this. For yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's the me taking them home is uh, I, I wouldn't bring him home. I mean, I, if I were them, I would bring him immediately to my new home on this airplane. <laughs> I don't think you can do it. No, I, I don't, don't think you could get out of the country. It would be interesting to see. I mean, if you're if you could get to the Italian embassy, no, uh, oh, that's true. I mean, she's an Italian citizen. Yeah, they're gonna that's stop true. an I Italian never... citizen from leaving the country. I, I don't know. It's amazing. Oh, they are. Oh man, that's amazing. a good idea. There's the home I would take him to, the Italian embassy. That's a really good idea. Um, Stu, can you help me out on a couple of things here? Yes. Um, we, we had Macron uh, yesterday speaking to Congress, and he said, uh, you know, both in America and in Europe, we're living in a time of fear. And you can play with fear and anger for a time, but they don't construct anything. Anger only fears and, freak- and weakens us. And closing the door to the world will not stop the evolution of the world. It won't douse but inflame the fear of our citizens. Basically, what he was saying was, you guys got to come back to the table of the Paris Accords. Because... You know, we're not peddling fear here. It's just that if you don't, the whole world <laughs> will be destroyed. I've always loved that because they used to... I know. Say, remember, remember you in the doom closet or whatever Colbert yes. used to doom say? Room. The doom room where you'd have come up with these crazy scenarios where the world was going to end. And then they would criticize you for not being alarmist enough about global warming. Which was always side by side, such a fun. I know, such a fun thing. I mean, it's it's. Uh, he said, what, didn't he say make make the planet great again? I mean, like I, you know, he's really sort of trolling. The planet is pretty great. 
I, I don't I don't know if you know that. And man didn't make it great. It, it's just it's it's pretty great. But now we're talking about people. Uh, I want you to cover two stories for me. Mm-hmm. One that climate change needs to be handled like war now. Yeah, <laughs> really dangerous. Yeah, that's what they're saying. And this is they're trying to make the actual conservative case. This is a case to conservatives. Uh, we spend five hundred and ninety billion dollars on defense in twenty seventeen. That's up to over seven hundred billion this year. But climate change poses a more significant threat to global security than the low probability event of a ground war with China. Uh, it, we we've maintained re- readiness against uh, readiness against an unlikely prospect of a large conventional war. It's time for conservatives to recognize our constitutional mandate to provide for the common defense by addressing the rising threat of climate change. There are three primary explanations for this. <laughs> I love these. First, is the science settled? It doesn't matter. That's number one. Wait, wait, it doesn't matter now. No, it doesn't matter. Okay, so science doesn't matter. No. Okay. It doesn't matter because we have an obligation to be prepared to defend the country, even if the threat is uncertain. Now, of course, no, 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 we don't. I mean, we We do against, you know, uh, a threat like, you know, you could say Iran, right? Like you you would still, even though we might not go to war with Iran, we hope to not go to a war with Iran. It's not certain we're going to a war with Iran. We still would would defend against a war with Iran. And I understand the concept. But that's not what we're talking about. There are some that are saying that uh, this would be like defending ourselves and building a missile shield for the evil Ugandans which have this giant missile uh, <laughs> factory that they've... There's no... The science is not there to support that. Right. And I think, like, you know, conservatives are always put out to be anti-science, right? We don't care. Mm-hmm. We're not listening to the scientists. Though the hope in science, I think, is clear almost only, almost exclusively with conservatives. We are the ones that are saying that we believe there will be all these uh, innovations and adaptations. I mean, look at what you're talking about with AI, Glenn. If a, if If... Global warming is this gigantic problem that, it, that they claim that it's going to be. You know, the resources that you could put at it just when AI develops would probably be able to solve that almost mm-hmm. immediately. And many scientists mm-hmm. have talked about this. I mean, it is it does exist in, in the academic literature. It's just not it's not going to get you. It, there's no fear votes out of that. It, you know, scientific okay, so- solutions don't help there. All right. So, number one, science doesn't matter. We got to come back to science. Number two, uh, can we afford to act? Yes. In the coming <laughs> decade, no, we can. In the coming decades, and look at these numbers. When mm-hmm. they're they're being honest here with some of these numbers, and it's interesting. In the coming decades, we will collectively spend approximately two trillion dollars to maintain our electrical grid. Upgrading the existing grid to a near zero carbon solution would cost approximately. Two to three trillion dollars. We could upgrade the grid without costing ourselves a penny more than the status quo if we start working now. Now, there's a bunch of things to unpack from that. Number one, just taking what he says is the actual truth here that it's gonna we're gonna spend two trillion dollars to maintain our grid and we can upgrade it for two to three trillion. You're adding an entire trillion dollars on top <laughs> of your own estimate. Yeah, and wait a minute. Hang on. That's the grid. Right. That's not what's making Thank the you. power. Right. 
The uh, grid is the wires and the and the switching. It, it's the coal plant that's actually making the power that goes into the grid. You're right. That's a big part of that. Uh, <laughs> and, and also, yeah, I think. is there no maintenance cost to this new system? Because you're talking no. about two trillion dollars to maintain the old system. You can build the new one for two to three trillion, which, by the way, is a fifty percent increase. Not he's a uh, it won't it won't cost herself a penny more. No, it won't be a penny more. It's fifty percent more. It's an extra trillion. <laughs> so it's an extra trillion, and then you have to add on to that what the maintenance cost would be for that system. So it would obviously be even more than three trillion dollars. Uh, and then finally, third, uh, should emissions from other nations influence whether the United States works to address climate change? No. It should not, apparently, um, which is kind of an interesting thing, because as we point out, you know, China and all of these other um, uh, countries around the world, India and China being the two main ones, are, are adding so much uh, when it comes to emissions and new plants, even though they're also adding a lot of, of capacity when it comes to zero carbon stuff. It doesn't matter they're, what they're doing with you know with fossil fuels still outpaces anything that we can cut i mean you can absolutely shut off every car in america not make them hybrids but just turn them off we walk everywhere for the rest of our lives and it's not going to do anything compared to what china is doing as far as their growth so you know it doesn't matter i guess we could lead in a unilateral sort of way and hope everyone follows us in the end after we've spent three trillion dollars on one of the many projects we'd need to do to actually make this happen but I mean, you know, most likely they won't do that because they're still worried about feeding their, you know, their their populations. Um, you know, survival comes before global warming. It always does. When when we have all of these experts declare that they are from here on out vegan or vegetarian, I'll start to take them seriously because that's the biggest thing anybody can do: stop eating meat. When you do that, you start to heal the planet. <laughs> All right. Uh, let me tell you about our sponsor this half hour. I want to thank uh, realestateagentsitrust.com for sponsoring this part of the program. Over a thousand agents all over America who are just like you. Their word is their bond. They're fans of the show. They share your sensibilities. They have the same sense of, of fairness, of working together and getting a square deal for everybody involved. They also are the best in their community these guys have really been uh, put through the uh, the uh, hoops and we want to make sure that they are the people that have the best results in their town we really vet them and we handpick them for their knowledge their skill and their track record it's realestateagentsitrust.com thousands of people all across the country have already put them to test the remar- the, uh, the results are remarkable Check it out for yourself at realestateagentsitrust.com. You need to sell your home on time for the most amount of money. You need to buy a house and get a good deal. Realestateagentsitrust.com. They're the people to go to. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. So, Stu, the there was a, a new study that has come out, a couple of new studies that say, oh, you know what? Um, I think the IPCC may, be, may, may, may have been wrong. 
on global warming. Yeah, well, the, well, it comes from uh, American Meteorological Society's Journal of Climate, which is a completely legitimate source. Judith Curry is one of the authors. Very smart. Um, she is someone who has uh, written over 140 scientific papers. She wrote Thermodynamics of Atmospheres and Oceans and uh, Encyclopedia of Atmospheric Sciences. I know those are two of your favorites. Oh, um, I love those. Yeah. The first one more than the second. But um, Really? Um, <laughs> yeah, she, she was yeah. first well in the public well-known. Because in 2005, she wrote a story, a, a paper about hurricanes, and she that um, basically said uh, hurricanes will be more intense because of global warming. Right. So, so she, she went, was a global warming believer completely, and was and yeah. was thrust out into the media as this. You know, again, it was a scare story. This is 2005, um, and then after 2000, um, and she was attacked by people on, who didn't believe in global warming on the right. As, as this, mm-hmm. so that's who she is. She's dealt with that mm-hmm. before. Uh, 2009 happens, Climate Gate happens, and she kind of goes out and writes a a, a, you know, a paper, just a an online blog type of thing, um, that says, "Hey, you know, maybe it's a good idea that people will pay attention to some of the fundamentals of climate change more if we don't try to scare them with every little crazy thing that comes out. You know, just like, hey, let's let's be honest when we have uncertainty about things. And since then, she's been evil climate denier number one." Um, Just for saying, maybe we should be reasoned. Yes. Uh, However, her new, again, a peer-reviewed study, uh, says the predicted global temperature increases will now uh, be less than expected, 30 to 45% less than what the IPC said. Uh, The warning is is going to be substantially lower than the central computer model simulated level protected by the uh, IPCC, which is the UN uh, climate group. 30 to 45% less. That's your consensus in action. Glenn Beck, Mercury. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. So a couple of weeks ago, we did something called Make America Dinner Again. And uh, we were just going to, uh, you know, play highlights of it. And we've decided this is, this is, this all needs to be seen. So we begin uh, with the first episode uh, tonight uh, of this fascinating meal. And, and what we did was we, we had our researchers go out and find the people who would never sit together if it was a regular media thing. And if it was a regular media thing, we wanted to find the people who wouldn't perform, but actually just have a conversation. Because what happens is you get diverse people and they're on CNN. We've got a panel of experts and they're all trying to make a point. We said no team jerseys. We're not going to argue. Nobody is there to convince someone of the truth. We just want to listen to each other. We want to understand each other. And we do want to talk about the issues, but not in a I win sort of way. Everybody came into this skeptical um, because this is the team we assembled around this this dinner table. These are the people I invited. So I was there. Riaz Patal was there. Riaz is a gay married with two adopted children, 
Pakistani Muslim in, immigrant. I mean, so he was, he was, you know, he has no tribe. Uh, then we also invited uh, a a Christian conservative to sit next to him, a really smart Christian conservative. Also on the other side was a Venezuelan uh, immigrant, somebody who had escaped Venezuela, whole family is in Venezuela, sees socialism for what it is, and was the strongest advocate for the free market system. <laughs> also at the table, a progressive socialist professor, college professor, uh, we had a libertarian bass player who was amazing. He said, I didn't realize you were going to have all these smart people now that I've talked to everybody. This is before the dinner started. I'm a little intimidated. That guy was off the charts smart. He's just a well-read individual that believes in libertarian principles. Uh, we had a black media advocate. Uh, anybody else that I missed? I mean, it was the island of misfit toys. And we talked about we talked about everything. Um uh, we talked about gun control, but we 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 started really with um, with censorship and free speech. Listen, we're living in a social media world where everyone just expects you to say something, and to a certain extent, you do want to say something, right? Because it goes back to the old Edmund Burke quote: "The only thing necessary for evil to triumph over good is for good men to stay silent." Mm -hmm. But then also understanding that not every issue or not every hill is worth dying on. And, and not everything is good versus evil. And I think, I think that's, but everything is feeling like it's good versus evil. That if I vote for someone, if I believe in something, then evil will win. The Nazis will win. I'm, you're at this table because I don't know how you're functioning in the world that you live in. You're trans and deeply religious and Christian. You, so who's your tribe? <laughs> I am my tribe. Amen. That's, that's good for you. That's I mean, got to be hard. The reality is, I mean, I do, I do have a tribe, right? But I am my tribe, and if I, if I hold true to leaning on myself, then I'm able to have strength when I'm in uncomfortable situations, and that's why I say I'm my tribe. But back to the the social media piece, I think what happens with social media is that people have gotten so comfortable with not speaking verbally to one another this. that we get more comfortable going off on social media about things we're not comfortable talking about face to face. And so when we don't want to talk about these places because we don't want to lose our jobs or we don't want to be at a dinner table and have an uncomfortable conversation, we lash out on social media. It is it's a fascinating conversation and it gets a little a little heated, not too much, but a little heated when we start talking about gun control um, because uh the college professor says, look, it's an unmitigated fact that X, Y, Z. And it wasn't a fact. He was actually wrong on that. And uh, we corrected him. And uh, he said, well, I want to see the evidence of that. And uh, we had a we had a great conversation. Uh, and it shows that we're not all that different, even though we have wildly different points of view on policies the things we were concerned about were pretty much the same things. Wouldn't you agree, Stu? I think so, yeah. And that's, I guess, what 
what brings you to these moments of realization of understanding that you know everybody has kind of the same concerns right i mean we talk we get so bogged down in that battle of uh, that cnn panel battle right like that uh-huh. distracts us from actual people who say actual things um and that's kind of i think that's the i think that's the secret of this you know i don't know how many times you could do it after people have seen it on tv or they've witnessed it um, because uh, people would change. They would watch it, and they would be like, oh, I would have said this, and they're, they'd be trying to win. No one at the table was trying to win, and that's where we need to get with our families and everything else. That's what will bring us back together is learning how to listen to each other, learning how to talk to each other, learning to how to have your own opinion uh, without forcing everybody else to that opinion. And the genesis of it is is pretty cool, too, and that is came from two liberals, uh, the idea for this, uh, two liberals in California who went through the election, saw Trump got elected and, and thought to themselves, you know, they were surrounded by people who, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's California, they're liberals, everyone couldn't stand Trump. And they couldn't understand, like, what they, they realized they had no connection uh, to a good chunk of, of America, and that was their bad. They needed to, to, to step out of their little box. And so they decided to do this and kind of have uh, dinner with, you know, all different people from all different um, viewpoints and just kind of just talk about stuff so you can understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've seen some of this that has been uh, interesting lately on uh, the right. We, people who, you know, uh, write stories about, hey, I know you people on the left think like gun owners are really terrible people who are crazy and, and you know, are, are doing all these wild things and like, let me tell you a little bit about the gun culture, because it's something you're going to really relate to. It's about people defending themselves and defending their families and caring about their families. It's, you know, and, and a lot of the country sees, for example, gun owners the way of, well, the only reason you'd want a gun is because you're out of control and you want to kill people. And it's like, we a rational person who sits down and thinks about it for five seconds is going to realize, well, it's 350 million guns. We'd be hearing about not one school shooting every two months, but you know a thousand a day or ten thousand a day. If if the what they believed about guns was true, um, and I think when you get down there and you start talking to people, they actually know that. I think a lot of times, you know, in social media, I'm glad you led with that clip because social media just makes this so much worse. Is that you get to that point where all you're doing is looking for that cool social media win that people will retweet instead of actually listening to someone. And it's not the way we live our actual lives. I mean, everyone in your family, you have diverse opinions and people, you have nut jobs. Every family has them. You know, a lot of, I would describe them as nut jobs where they believe completely crazy liberal things. However, when I talk to them, you don't talk to them like they're nut jobs. You don't yell at them. You don't scream at them. You talk to them like they're real people and you actually care about convincing them about one little piece of it or at least understanding where they're coming from on that piece. Yeah. And uh, and that's my family just my my family because everybody every family has a nut job. And in my family, um we just all refer to them as Uncle Glenn, which is <laughs> all Wait a minute, hold it just a second. <laughs> I just figured that out. Um uh, so anyway, watch it tonight at five o'clock. It's the first episode of Make America Dinner Again. I will tell you that I was uh, I sat right next to you know how I feel about Woodrow Wilson and professors. Uh, and uh, progressives uh, I sat next to a very big uh, liberal progressive uh, uh, scholar and 
uh, I thought, oh, my gosh, I, how am I going <laughs> to sit? They put him next to me for a reason. And I'm like, OK, all right, breathe deeply. And I know he was doing the same thing because he knows who I was at the end. Even though we strongly disagreed with each other and we called each other on the carpet a couple of times, uh, he left the table saying, that's the best intellectual discussion I have had in I don't know how long. Yeah. Uh, And it's the way we should be. There's a a little bit of it that's like a triathlon and which is just a a feat of your endurance and, and your mental strength to not jump into attack mode because you know when someone says something that's really offensive or something you really don't believe you know you your instinct is to be like what the hell are you talking about and you just want to kind of scream at them which but is, isn't it interesting it's not that's not the way to go if, if you have if you have that moment where you can kind of sit back and you can find the other nine things that you're kind of in agreement on you know it's makes for a heck of a better life i'll tell you that isn't it isn't it interesting the trans man um who i really liked really just a sweet guy um and isn't it interesting how when you say well there's a transsexual it's different when you're sitting at the table and it's a normal person it's a normal guy it's the way I think people uh, feel about um, uh, Caitlyn Jenner. You know, I, 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 I don't know what I would do in his situation or her situation when he was him and he lived his whole life like that. I have so much empathy for him. What, am I going to throw a rock at him? No. <laughs> no, probably it, not. He lived his life this whole way just fe- just being tortured now, science will show, I, I dare bring up scientific fact here, but studies have shown it doesn't necessarily help. In fact, suicide is even greater among those who have a sex change. I, but I, I don't know what I would do. Why am I going to throw a rock at him? And you you listen to him. He's not talking about transgenderism at all. He's not talking about any of it. Yeah, that's, uh, he just wants to be treated like a human being. That, that's what I thought was interesting about the conversation, and that it wasn't identity politics. Identity, no. like we kind of, in a way, like picked people from all these different backgrounds, and obviously that is somewhat of based on your identity, right? Like you know, yeah. there's someone who you know, yeah. there's a reason why there's a black trans Christian there because it was an interesting person and wanted to hear the perspective. But you notice that like, that they didn't talk about those things it wasn't it, it wasn't just about hey i'm a person who's lived this life and here's how it's affected me it was also Mm-mm. just opinions about other things and opinions about all the other things there was a lot of agreement on mm-hmm. um and you know you wind up seeing people uh, as actual individuals rather than hey you're in this group and i think that's really productive i know as conservatives that's that's we're yep. not collectivists right we don't put nope. people in groups and identify them by groups. We identify people by their individual characteristics and, the, you know, I don't know, the content of their character. I can't believe you just said that. That's such a racist <laughs> that thing That was to racist. Say. Yeah, no, I know. Premieres tonight, 5 p.m. on The Blaze and uh, stream commercial free on The Blaze Facebook page. Tonight, 5 o'clock. Don't miss it. So how much is your identity worth? According to an online security education company, the going rate for your identity now is about 1200 bucks. Now, that's what they're going to sell it for on the dark web. The dark web is a system that's, uh, you know, could be linked to an on- uh, online auction site or classified ad. But it's where criminals shop for illegal products like, you know, murder or information on you. 
many threats in today's connected world, and it takes 1200 bucks to get yours. $1,200, and how much damage can they do to your life? That's why the new LifeLock Identity Theft Protection adds the power of Norton Security to try to help protect you against the threats to your identity, but also to your devices that you can't easily see or fix on your own. If you have a problem, they have the agents who are going to work to fix it. Now, nobody can stop all cyber threats or prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But with LifeLock and Norton Security, they're able to uncover the threats that you might otherwise miss. So go to LifeLock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK and use the promo code BACK. You're going to get additional 10% off at LifeLock.com or uh, 1-800-LIFELOCK. That's 1-800-LIFELOCK. Promo code BACK. LifeLock.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Getting towards the end of the show here. Want to make sure we get in before the end. Uh, Glenn's uh, NFL draft picks. Uh, your mock yeah, oh, yeah, is yeah. out. Uh, the latest mock draft is out from Glenn. Uh-huh. Uh, do you want to run uh-huh. through it here real quick? Uh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. The, go ahead. I, go ahead. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't. I'm a little well, embarrassed. We'll just start. By... Well, I'll, I'll lead you. Uh, Browns, number one. Who are they taking? Who, where do you think they go there? Uh, the guy that I... Uh, uh, you know, I told you about from that team. I can't remember which. Yeah, you've got it written down there. Uh, sure. I, 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 if you sent the draft, I didn't get it yet. So I, oh, you'll, you have, you'll, have to, you'll have to just. Yeah, you know what? Let's get it tomorrow. Let's just no, get into no, this tomorrow. No, no, that's not going to work because the draft starts tonight. Round one is tonight. Uh, I know. Uh, well, so well, maybe well, later I'll, this afternoon. I'll have you narrow it down. Which one of the four quarterbacks you think Cleveland's going with? Most people the believe. The best one. The, yeah, which one? What, which one what, do most, you think they're? Well, what most people believe? Oh yeah, most people believe they will, of course, select one of the four top quarterbacks available. Uh, mm. And uh, you know, obviously, you have the do you have the choices? I think uh, the I think the Patriots uh, will pass. Yeah, it's not <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, guys, do you have something? You have another? Okay, let me give you the four: Sam right, Darnold, okay. right? Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, uh-huh. and uh, Josh Allen. Which one do you think? Uh, Josh Allen. Josh Allen. They're going to go Allen number one. That would be a Allen. huge upset. I don't think people aren't. What? Why? Are you just. Rep- I can hear someone speaking. No, in I your- think. I No, I, I think that the Browns are going to go with Warren Moon. Warren- which would be a, a, a strange <laughs> pick, seeing that I. I'm pretty sure Warren is probably a little older now. But yeah, I nice. believe that. Uh, yeah, he's going to. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I maybe we should wait till tomorrow <laughs> for this one. Because uh, Sonny Jurgensen to the Giants. Okay. I'm just I'm just freewheeling here how do now. You, how do you know? I, someone must be speaking in your ear because you would not even know. Sonny no, Jurgensen's that would be no, no. That would be no. That would be wrong. Now of, let's talk uh, yeah. theater. Go ahead, rattle off some of the shows you've recently <laughs> well, now seen. Well, the time is the time is up. But if honestly, if you haven't seen Hamilton, you have to at least get this. Okay. We'll see you tonight at 5 o'clock. Glenn Beck, Mercury.